Father, your word tells us that you so loved the world that you gave your son. And it all started on this night, this night that we're remembering tonight together. All because you love us. And so God, I pray that as we turn into the book of Ruth and finish up, and we connect it to what you've said throughout your word about Jesus, I pray, God, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would impact lives. God, you would, you would help those of us who love you to love you more. God, for those who may not have a relationship with you, through Jesus, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would convict of sin and, Father, you would draw them to the Savior, and that they would come to know Jesus as Lord. In all of it, we want you to be exalted, Jesus, as the greatest. And so we thank you for an opportunity to come together. We thank you for a place where we can gather. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. How many of you ever believed that the little drummer boy actually happened? Besides myself? Just, I mean, last year I figured it out. I'm just joking. It wasn't last year. But it's like you kind of just, but can you, can't you kind of picture something at least like that happening and no one else in the world knows it's happening. You just have Mary and Joseph and then some shepherds who are the outcasts of society and one angel shows up and starts to speak to them and then all of a sudden it says this great multitude and I've told you this before, it's my conviction that the, I, I think it's the angelic host of heaven. I think it's all of them because this is a massive event. Can you imagine what it would be like and yet Jesus came and nobody knew except the outcasts. And what if it was a little boy? All of a sudden he's kind of, maybe he's a little shepherd boy and he's watching. He's like, well, where are we going? And then they show up. He's like, I can play a drum. Because isn't it just like a little kid to just do what they know how to do? Guys, how many of you have had family gatherings where the little ones want to do a talent show? <laughs> and you want to die. <laughs> the whole time. And you'll get kids like, I'll do it. And they just are not good. It's like, I can sing. And I'm like, you can't. There's more than one tone. There's keys and things that, like, there's something to this. And it's like you're rapping like a monk. And so they do the boy, all of a sudden he goes, I can play a drum. And what if it happened? We know it didn't. Someone made it up. But what if? And then, we, and then we sang these words over and over. And I'm telling you, when I started to sing these words, I thought, this is it. Whenever I hear these words, I'm like, this is Christmas. And he shall reign forever and ever. Followers of Jesus, we hold on to the hope of that, that he shall reign forever and ever. Even when you have one of those weeks or one of those months or one of those years, he shall reign forever and ever. Friends, I know that for some here, this moment, this time, Christmas time, and maybe it's the first year without a loved one, and it's a difficult time, and I just want to remind you that he shall reign forever and ever. And we may not understand the timing of why things have happened, and we don't understand why it is he lets things happen when they do, or why he lets them happen at all, but we need to hold on to the fact he shall reign forever and ever. We hold on to that as our hope as we continue to follow Jesus. And because he shall reign forever and ever, there is this thrill of hope. 
And there's this weary world, this weary world that can rejoice, right? Because don't you just kind of look around and go, gosh, it seems like we're weary. We're either weary or we're angry. And yet in the midst of all of that, he shall reign forever and ever. And it's all about this little baby that was born. Think about it. The whole calendar system is based on this little boy. B.C., before Christ, A.D., year of our Lord. It's all about Jesus. How could one little baby have such an impact on the planet? It's not just the fact that a baby showed up. It's who is this baby? Isaiah wrote about it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And when we break down those statements, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Friends, do you realize that one thing, a child being born happens around the world 385,000 times a day. 385,000 times a baby's being born per day. And so it's not, it's not like, well, it's okay, so a baby was born. But it's not just the fact the baby was born, it's who is this baby? And then the next part is the government shall be or rest upon his shoulder. And so what's that saying? Well, guys, in that day, the ensign of office used to be worn on the shoulder as a token of sustaining the government. And so figuratively, what it's saying is this, is that there's this kingly robe that he would wear as the Messiah. So even in that statement, he's like, he's king. And then it says this, and his name shall be called, and here's the four, wonderful counselor. Friends, do you see him as that? For those of you who are not followers of Jesus, maybe you've met some of the Christians that maybe they're either they're having a bad day or they don't really know Jesus. Because we all have a bad day, right? And I don't want you to look at someone else who's having a bad day and yet they follow Jesus, but they're just having one of those days and to base your whole eternity on someone's bad day. But do you see him as wonderful? Guys, when you look at that word wonderful, it means exceptional or distinguished. Is Jesus exceptional? Followers of Jesus, do we still see him as exceptional or have we gotten used to him? I mean, even Christmas, oh, it's just a baby, baby in a manger. Like, think of the statement you just said. Have you ever stuck your kid in a manger? Don't admit it, but if you, have you ever? When we start thinking of who this baby in a manger is, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in this manger, here's God in the flesh, in the most humble setting that anyone could ever imagine. And when you look in the face of that baby, he is known as wonderful, exceptional counselor. In other words, he has something to say that everyone needs to hear. He has something to say that everyone needs to hear. He is wonderful counselor. But when you look in the face of that baby, he's mighty God. Friends, here's the part that I don't understand when people, you have people around the world that they like the religion stuff, they like the God stuff, but when it comes to Jesus, they don't believe him to be God. And yet I look in the scriptures and I go, it's, it's right here. Like this son will be born, this child will be born, this son will be given, and the government will be on the sword, it's wonderful counselor, mighty God. Friends, moms, what did it feel like? You just gave birth in a stable, a, a cave, and you're trying to place your baby somewhere, but before you place him, you're holding him. 
And when you're holding him, you're looking into his face, and when you're looking into the face, you're looking into the face of God, who's on a mission to get us, to do what's necessary to bring us back to himself. Mighty God. In other words, he has the power to execute his plans because he's God. Friends, if you're going through something tough, let me remind you that Jesus is still mighty God. At no point has he become less of God, and he will execute. Not he can, he will execute his purpose, his plan, his will, no matter what. And then you get to this part, everlasting father. We start to think, like, well, this isn't doctrinally correct. How can the son be the father? When you start looking at the way that the words are used or the translation, even that, when he says everlasting father, a better translation is father of eternity than the word father means originator. And so when you start looking at Jesus, that not only is he this wonderful, exceptional counselor, there's something to say that everyone needs to hear. Mighty God who can handle everything and his will will be accomplished. But he is the originator of all of eternity. In other words, for eternity to begin, he has to already be there. He is the originator of all of eternity. And he's the prince of peace. And we sit there and go, oh, I'd like to see that. Like people just getting along, like he brings him, he ushers in peace. And yet I'm kind of looking at the news and I'm thinking, ah, oh, did he fail at this last part? Are we really at peace with one another? But is that really what he's talking about? Is that what, did Jesus really show up to kind of be the first happy hippie and get people and all of us just to get, get along? Or is it bigger than that? Because Paul writes this in Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, do you realize that the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2, that before we come to Christ, before we surrender our lives and we hear his call, he invites us, he initiates relationship with us. The Bible says that we were objects of God's wrath by nature. We were objects of his wrath, but God, being rich in mercy, being full of grace, came to bring about peace, but peace with God. Friends, we've all sinned. We're sinners. It's just that's what we are outside of Jesus. But when you surrender your life to Christ, you're forgiven. Your identity is changed from sinner to saint. A beloved, the beloved of God, a son or daughter of the king. And it's all his grace. It's his mercy. It's his work. It's a gift. When he invites us to follow him and when we start to sit there and go, is he worth it? And when you say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, that you're the Lord of my life, when we do that, he says, then salvation is the first thing I'm going to give you. To be right before God and to have peace with him, verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, I told you we're going to finish up the book of Ruth. Chapter 4, we're going to go to one verse, verse 22, and friends, this is the first time ever, I think, in the history of the church that any pastor said, I want to I preach a genealogy. I want to preach one of the most boring verses in the Bible as the Christmas message. This is all it says. Salmon, which I don't know if it's Salmon or Salmon, but Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. 
Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. I said, guys, God bless you. Have a great night. We're so glad that you showed up. Be blessed. For those who've been part of this journey with us, and I know that for some you're visiting, this is the first time, and I'm so sorry, but we, I wanted to finish our, our time in the book of Ruth as a community saying, okay, what does this really mean for us? Why, would, why is it so important that the writers would make sure that we know, hey, who's, who was your daddy? This person had this kid who had this kid had this. Did. Guys, when you look at the, the story of Ruth, Ruth is this, she's this outcast, and yet God had a redemptive story for her. She didn't fit in with the community. And yet she fit, she fit in the timeline of God. And when you start looking at the lineage of Jesus, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And then as you work through the family line of Jesus from Matthew chapter one, you see people, just messed up, normal people. Friends, for those of maybe you've never read the Bible, or maybe you just read those parts of the Bible that now you can stand and go, this is why I don't like it. I want you to read the whole thing. Like, this sucker's long. I don't have time. Listen to it. Like, there's really no excuse. I mean, if all of eternity is based on what do we do with this Jesus that's mentioned in this Bible, all I'll be asking, hey, take Jesus seriously long enough to get through the book because what you're going to see in the book is a bunch of normal people who are messed up. And the normal people who are messed up are not the main characters of the Bible. The main character, the only character that is of any massive value who's to be exalted above everyone else is God. But everyone else, friends, we can relate with these people. Guys, when we go through the lineage in Matthew chapter one, we see people who had a hard time believing God's promises. Anybody? And then what? You're going to get honest tonight. Anybody going through something right now, you don't see what it is, but it's really hard to believe that God's going to come through. You're having a hard time believing in God's promises. Put it way up. Charismatic style. Not Baptist. Charismatic style. You're in good company. In the family line of Jesus, people had a hard time believing in the promises of God. People who lived a life of deception. I'm not going to ask that one. People with questionable lifestyles and choices. That's in the family line of Jesus. People who were outcasts in society. People, one specific individual who committed murder and adultery. People who abused their power and rebelled from God. Friends, this is, this is the family line of the Messiah. It's not like when Jesus showed up, when you look at his family line, it is all straight. There's nothing wrong. It's, nobody's making any mistakes. In fact, I wrote this in my notes. It seems like Jesus isn't embarrassed about the splintered family line that he's part of. He's not embarrassed by it. The reason, one of the reasons, not the reason, one of the reasons I love the Bible is because it is relatable. You can start reading the pages and go, I get that. I understand that. And when you start seeing that, that you could be in the story and how God responds to us. And so you have all these people that are mentioned and then you just kind of get to some regular old people that probably no one would ever notice. In Matthew chapter one, verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. <clears throat> 
See, when you read Luke's account of the genealogy, it's taking, he's writing from Mary's line, going all the way back to Adam. But Matthew's writing from Joseph's line, going back to Abraham. But friends, what I'm most impressed with was three little words. Jesus was born. Like, you ever stopped to just, like, that part? We would miss it because it's in the middle of the genealogy, and that's just kind of boring. But those three little words, Jesus was born. The one whose the government will rest on his shoulders, this wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and prince of peace, was born. And yet he existed before he was born. For nothing was created in the world that was not part of what Jesus created. He's the creator of the universe and yet made himself a baby and lived this quote unquote normal life and experienced all the struggles that we experience. Knows what it's like to feel lost and experience loss. He knows what it's like to see people who are oppressed and to want to bring them freedom and liberty. He knows that he gets it. Friends, he relates with us more than we could ever imagine. There is no other deity in any other world religion who can say that because no other God did that. When you get to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That's weird. And shall call his name. Emmanuel. Guys, that one little name, Emmanuel, is massive because it means what? God with us. At the heartbeat of Jesus' coming. Why? Why would Jesus come? As I said, tweet the scriptures in one statement, and I've heard there's some stuff going on with Twitter. And I've heard you can actually type as much as you want now, or at least a lot more than you could. Thank goodness, because that's what we need. We just need more words to get all angry and ticked off with each other. It's like, well, I'm not addicted. <laughs> and then once it shakes, oh, there it is, I found it. And I just get it for the news. No, you don't. Here's, the, here's why, I, if we had tweeted in one, one statement, the Bible, God with us, that we might be with him. God with us, that we might be with him. From cover to cover, you see it. When God has to encourage his people, oh, and I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I won't forsake you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. When Jesus ascends, he looks at his disciples. He says, I'm going to come back one day, but oh, no, no, I'll never leave you. By the way, I will be with you to the very end of the age. At the heart of God, the whole reason for his coming. And he would receive glory because of this, but the whole reason behind why he came is that we could be with him. But that also tells us that we have the ability to not be with him. But it's in his name, Emmanuel, God with us. And yet this wasn't the beginning. In John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. When the beginning began, God already was. This word, who is Jesus, John would be saying the word is Jesus. Jesus already was when everything began. Then you jump to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this God, who is the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of Jesus. 
Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That statement is massive. Full of grace and truth. I guarantee you that in this room, you fall into one of those camps. For many of you, you are full of grace. Man, you land in that one. You're just like, you're just swimming through grace. But are you holding on to truth? And then others of you, you just love truth. You'll stand for truth. You stand on it. Stand on the bedrock of truth. But do you show grace? It's weird how we kind of, we have this little pendulum that swings back and forth. And yet Jesus, it wasn't like he was kind of gracious and a little bit truth. He just kind of stayed here in the middle. No, no, no. He's the fullness of both. Friends, for those of you that don't like to hold to truth and you don't like to hold to the things that Jesus holds to, and you don't really like Jesus, and I can say why. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But if all we do is hold on to truth, but we don't show this grace. Friends, you realize that as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, I am not supposed to what? Retaliate. Someone persecutes me, they put me down, I'm supposed to what? I'm supposed to love them like Jesus? Well, that's almost impossible, I know. That's the point, but we're not supposed to justify why we don't have to. We look at Jesus as he's attached to a cross and he's crying out the forgiveness of those who are killing him. In the moment, he's asking for forgiveness. He's our example. And friends, I'm convinced that when we live like that, we live like Jesus, empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit to look like him and to live like him. That's what the world will take as different and take notice of what it is that we're doing and how we're living. This is the difference that Jesus makes. The fullness of grace and truth. In Colossians 1, verse 15, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, here's the word, preeminent, top, not first and second's kind of close. Nothing comes close, preeminent. And when Jesus is preeminent, it should impact everything that we do. It should impact everything that we think, every motivation of why we do what we do. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. Haley kind of said it before and maybe some are sitting there going, man, you're kind of bringing up the cross a lot. What about that manger? You really want to talk about the manger? Like the trough? I've shared this so many. I think I share this at every Christmas message, so why not do it now? How many have gone through thoroughbred, that Christmas tree thing that just makes you frustrated? <laughs> right? I, didn't, I haven't gone for a long time. They used to, I don't think, you can't walk it anymore, right? You just have to stay in your car like it's a small world. You just get in that line that takes forever, and some people are like, I'm just in a happy place. And I'm like, really? At least gas is a little cheaper, but come on. But when, the, when you could walk it, remember, for those who have heard this, I, I remember walking past a house, and all it had was three crosses. 
And then you look at everything else and it feel like you're Disneyland. It's like, man, you're really going for it. You guys are spending like 20 grand on electricity this month. And I'm so glad I don't have your bill. And so we're just looking and judging everybody and thanking God we're not them. But I'm, I'm standing at this house by myself and it's just three crosses and they're not even impressive. It's not like there's anything to it. They're not floating. There's no smoke. It's just crosses, three of them. And I remember standing there going, wrong holiday. I'm by myself, I'm judging. I don't even know the people. Here I am, follower of Jesus. Wrong holiday, it's December. And then this thought popped in my head. I think sometimes God's a little bit forceful. He's like, hey, dummy. This was the point. And I remember reading a statement once, and I wish I could say who it was that, I, that wrote it. I always want to try to give credit to those who write the statements that I quote. But he said something like this. The manger of Jesus is in the shadow of the cross of Christ. Like you can never disassociate them. The manger of Jesus is in the cross, is in the shadow of the cross of Christ. And so when I started off and I prayed, and I mentioned, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Tonight we remember the beginning of what that giving looked like. Right? The God who measures the universe with the span of his hand, there's no limit to this God. I mean, Isaiah's trying to go, gosh, how do I describe it? It's like God looks at this ever-expanding universe and goes, oh, it's like that thing. That God fit himself inside the womb of a teenage girl and was born and had to be cared for and taken care of and protected. Do you ever wonder if the angels heard about the, they heard about the plan and were like, what? You're gonna do what? We have never seen that. Why would you do it? Have you seen them? And I wonder if Jesus' response was something like, I've seen them, I've heard them, and I've known them, and I've got to go for them. There was never a moment where Jesus would ever pull back from the plan. He wanted us. So yes, Christmas is a beautiful time. And I know he's saying, oh, sleigh bells. I don't, really? You don't have them up the rest of the year. We have them on the closet door. But I always feel like if I have to sneak in there because Bella's in her crate when she sleeps at night and like, don't wake, don't wake the hound. Don't wake the beast because she's going to go bonkers. But if I need something out of the closet, I'm like, oh my gosh. I feel like I'm a bank robber. And then, and then oh, I'm done. I'm done. And we like sleighs. No, you don't. We like snow. You don't either. Guys, it's going to be 75 on Christmas. And some of you sitting there going, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. God has given us a great Christmas. It's like a snowy day when you run the hose. We just like, we like liquid snow. But isn't the whole point of it, isn't the whole point about the old holy night and why he came Friends, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible's clear. 
Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot be reconciled to God. You cannot be forgiven before a holy God outside of surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. And some may say, oh, that's pretty close-minded. You're saying that Jesus is the only way? Yeah, I am. And I'm really thankful that he made a way because he didn't have to. But there is no other world religion on the planet that will tell you that God came for you because you couldn't get to him. None. It's you do enough good things and hopefully you'll make it because you don't know the score at the end. The Bible says if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I'll be saved. When I confess, that means I say something in such a way that my life will follow that declaration. And the word Lord means master. I give up my life. I give up my rights. And I actually receive him and I have life with God. Friends, the greatest thing about God is him. The greatest thing about knowing God is not his stuff, but it's knowing Jesus. That's the best part of it. But there is no salvation in any other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's no other name. We, we recognize and remember a manger and a baby who was placed in at the coming of this Messiah. But this Messiah was there, was here long before. Jesus was here before anything began. He created time. He created matter. He created space. That little thing that had to happen, he created it. How do I know? I'm going to go back to the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is how he created. And he said. In other words, he spoke a word. And the word who is Jesus, who is fully God, became man to come for us. Why? Because he so loved us. As the worship team comes back up. We recognize Jesus in these words, Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. And because of that, our response should be this, that we fall on our knees. Oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine, O oh, night when Christ was born. So yes, tonight we remember a little baby who's fully God, fully man, placed in a manger in this hollowed out cave turned maternity ward, God incarnate. He came. Jesus was born. And who is this Jesus? Friends, the government shall rest upon his shoulder and he shall be called exceptional counselor, mighty God. He's the father of eternity. And friends, he's the prince of peace. And because of who he is and where he came from, where did he come from? The glories of heaven from eternity past. As well as the messed up family lineage that comes with any family. Fully God, fully man. Therefore, he shall reign forever and ever. Friends, he shall reign 
forever and ever. If you're here tonight, I will, we're never trying to trick people here. I, mean, I, I would love to see anybody show up here, but if you sit there and go, I don't think this is the place for me, especially if you're looking for a church community, man, I'll tell you other churches to go to. It does not have to be here. But you have to know Jesus. There is no life outside of Jesus. There is no forgiveness. There's no righteousness before God without Jesus. Without Jesus, we will spend eternity away from him in hell. And that's the reality. So I go, I don't like this topic. It's Christmas. And I sit there and go, this might be the most beautiful thing because he came to rescue us. Welcome to the grace and mercy of a righteous and perfect loving God. Not one who fits in our comforts and doesn't fit with what we're comfortable with. He is fully God. We're not. But he invites us to be with him. Friends, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, all I ask you is just think through it. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Pull someone next to you. Ask them. Now people are like, what do I say? I'll figure it out. We're all in this together. You don't need me. But friends, it's all about Jesus. We celebrate Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, you truly are a wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And for that, we're thankful. And we give you praise. And so we remember you. We remember this whole act of what you did, the incarnation of Jesus. God incarnate. God, may that not be ever, may that not be something that we ever get used to. We thank you that you came. And God, as we continue to remember it, and as we sing a couple more songs together, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all of Christ's followers say, amen. amen. Love you more than you know.